Dear friends and colleagues of Lou's, uh, extended family, church fellow church members, and especially you, Philip and Amy and Beverly, may God's grace and comfort be yours as you hear his word on the day that we celebrate his faith and his resurrection someday. Amen. We all have many common denominators, but nothing so big as life and death. They're certain for us, and we're all in that same experience together when we gather like this today. Um, It's huge, and uh, we've already started to hear from the community outside of you three, and you, 25, (laughs) how, how big our loss is, and we're not even on the inner circle with you. It has to be so great. It is in all of our lives when we lose a close loved one. That's a common denominator. Um... I'm going to reiterate some of the things the guy said and maybe be a little anecdotal to share because we're celebrating the life we got to live together. And I know that uh, if anybody had the floor that knows Lou, you would have your own stories. But maybe in the fellowship hall, you can share them uh, there. Uh, I there met very few people as scary smart as Lou. Uh, as our church treasurer, that when each new called worker would come to staff, he'd make an appointment to sit down with them. That's really the first one on two we had, Mary and me. And we looked at each other after you left and said, he's scary. (laughs) Not many words. You weren't sure what was going on. Uh, I always said in the last 16 years, one, one of the blessings that came from that ugly old tumor was that it gave him more personality for us. He was, he's more friendly. Oh, I love that man. Um, I want to tell you what the family has shown us. If you looked on the back table, got fourth in the spelling bee in the state of South Dakota when he was how old? What? Eighth grade. The whole family, nine people in a seven or six, what, that camper would hold six people, <laughs> went to the bee. That's pretty amazing to be that far in the state. Uh, in that regard, Lou would teach me words accidentally because he'd say a word and I'd go, wait, what does that mean? And uh, he was on a committee at the university, and he said, it's a Mariban committee. And I said, what is that? And he had to explain to me, that means we do nothing. (laughs) Nothing comes out of it. We just kind of sit around and do nothing. So in the last couple of months, he said, said, Pastor Donald Patterson, that's a bunch of kerfuffle. I said, whoa, wait a minute. What is kerfuffle? And he goes, just a lot of fluff, hot air. (laughs) Um, Scary, scary smart. Dana, when we were his brother here, when we were at this our church bodies convention, what two years ago almost, he was telling me when we were in the lobby of the hotel, when Lou was in like third, fourth, fifth grade, sixth gradeish, those few years there, he'd read about a, book, a novel a day. He'd get about three quarters done. He'd start after school, and before he went to bed, he'd stop and he would dream his own conclusion to the story, <laughs> and then he'd read the, the rest of the novel the next morning and start another one. That's amazing pretty cool Uh, but you know usually smart people aren't that athletic and that always really bugged me too because as being a guy I always thought I was athletic but I'm not and everybody kind of knows I'm not and so uh, he uh, my wife ran a marathon I was trying to learn to run with her and I can run you know I ran the Boston Marathon for 100 yards with her (laughs) I ran out there and said she could quit because she was hurting and then she ran me off the course so 
But I said to Lou when I was trying to learn how to run, I said, I know you run a lot, Lou. How, you know, I was trying to get below a 10-minute mile. I said, I said, how, you know, he's, what, he's 60, I'm 53, seven years older than me, right? I said, how, you know, this is just 10 years ago, maybe 12, I don't know. I said, how, how, how fast do you really, he goes, he goes seven, six and a half minute miles. Oh, that is not fair. <laughs> and this guy, how tall was he? Six one, he had the nerve to ask me to be his tennis partner. I know I was just practice for him because he played Jack Parrish on Saturdays. I played during the week, and uh, I was just warming him up. And I did, for the record, I said I was going to set it straight. I won some games, never really a match except once, but I won a set or two. But that day that I won that match was like my, almost, almost up there with my wedding day. Because this guy, he would just toy with me, and then, bam, he'd start acing the ball and, on his serve. So I go home, and I'm celebrating. My family could care less, and I'm saying, I beat Lou in a match. I beat Lou in a match. I won the match. I can't believe that. And I talked for a week that way, and he made a, had made a doctor's appointment, and he'd gotten some tests, and about a month after that win, he kept, pulled me aside with that smirk in his eye, and he goes, I know why you beat me. And he said, my forehand was off that day on my right side. And he said, and I knew, and I knew something was wrong. And he said, and then he, this is the way he chose to tell me, I have a brain tumor. And I thought, you know, that's, that's pretty, it's earth shattering for me, but he wanted to make it a humorous thing. He said, he was comforting me, but he said, uh, comforting himself that his loss was legit, (laughs) that I had really not beat him. And I said, you took away my one victory (laughs) of, and we laughed till the last time we talked about that that was a good one oh what's unique about his passing because every passing is unique it's not a common denominator we all die differently but we do die some fast he, we got how many years 16 years to know that tumors were there 15 years so we've had a lot we've all had a long time to process this and try to find our own peace with it but you really can't find a peace by processing this on your own with just logic because you'll you'll come into these why questions that you cannot answer with logic like why would God choose for to give a man such brain power and then make it a tumor in the brain that would frustrate that why would he give him such athletic ability and then make it hit his motor skills so sharply and go from such an athlete to such an invalid and you you just you just you come to that wall where as a Christian you want to say, are you cruel, God? Why do you have to make such a sharp statement that you're in control of things? And you cannot process it outside of a spiritual answer because the Bible will not defies you to give a logical answer or else it would explain the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What it gives, though, is truth, objective truth that's spiritually true, that will be the logic that only we, anyone, including our brother, would understand when they get to heaven. God doesn't tell you all your, answer all of your questions that you have in this life that are so perplexing, even the painful ones, when it would leave out his greatest gift. If giving you a logical answer would leave out the fact that he gave us the greatest gift, he's not going to tell you. And the greatest gift, and this is the way the Bible tells it, is that 
God entered our trouble and became our brother in suffering with us. He would not rescue us apart from dying with us and for us. And that's what God says. He says, you're worried about your suffering, but I entered it. For a long time, he said, I'm going to enter it. And he even said, he'll be stricken, smitten by God in the Hebrew Scriptures long before Jesus was born and, and, and be scoffed at and someone you'd hide your face from. It was so bad. But he would enter our suffering and become a brother in the human family. There, you know, I used to think when you know, the family respected me by saying that Lou appreciated my friendship, he condescended to be my friend. But God condescended to be our brother. Lou's brother. And died with him. And suffered with him. That's the answer the Bible gives us, and I want to read it to you. It's in Hebrews chapter 2. There's other places, but this one, is, this one just grabbed me, and I said, with Beverly's permission, this had to be the devotion for today. Hebrews 2. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation complete, perfect, through what he suffered. Get this. Both the one, that's Jesus, who makes people holy by giving his righteous life in our behalf, and those who are made holy, that's us, are of the same family, So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. We've talked about how great he was, but we all know how fallible he was too, right? And Jesus said, I'm coming down to be your brother and sister like a fallible, accountable human being that will suffer just like you do. He lived through a family that had family problems. He lived with a mother that was always thought because of his birth to be... uh, someone who was uh, uh, guilty of promiscuity. He lived, he lived with rejection, mixed with success, problems and frustrations, thirst and weddings that had no wine. And there were many not mentioned. John the Apostle said, I, if I could write everything about his life, I couldn't fill the world with the books. There was so much. And yet, and, and he died like Lou did. He didn't have to. He did it to be with us. And it says later, just in this same chapter, so we would understand that he's empathetic with our our pain and our suffering. That's part of why he did it. He entered it with us. That's his answer to the why. I'm with you in this. But here's what's different. 33 years is all God gave himself. Some of you that are past 60 are feeling sorry for Lou because he was just given 60 plus. 33 was all God gave himself. At the people that were friends of Lou, they stayed and ran to his side and got in touch. The people that were friends of Jesus, what? Abandoned him. Not until he was risen from the dead were they in his life. Okay? Except John at the cross. His family, Lou's stepped up even more at the end. Jesus? Step back, except for his mom there with John at the cross. Right? The people that were in the community of Lou, they tried to heal him and give him comfort and palliative care. Um, But what about Jesus? The people that are in the community, what did they do? They hastened his death. 
They even violated his body after he died. Jesus did all of that to show that he's the brother of all of us, taking a death for us, with us, like that. God knows, because God can become a man and suffer with us. But if he suffered with us, he would only be empathetic. He would not be a rescuer. And so the writer clearly says what we put our faith and our hope in. Let's look at the last two verses. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus, too, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We don't like to talk about it, but the biggest enemy we all have is the end of our lives. It's death. And it is a frightful thing. And Jesus took the fear away by entering death for us. And Jesus' death was all alone. And when he cried out from that cross, remember what he said in the darkness of being completely separated from God? The fear and the horrors of death without God? What did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the most triumphant words we'll ever read or hear. It is finished. I have rescued humanity. I've paid for all of their sins. I am done being with them in their death and conquering death. And he gave up his own spirit after he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then remember what the angel said on Easter Sunday to the disciples when they came. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He has risen just as he said. Go. He's going to meet you and tell you the definition of his life. Go to Galilee and wait for him there. And there in Galilee, Jesus said, Forgiveness and eternal life should be proclaimed and preached in my name so that people will turn back to God knowing how much he loves them because I came to die with them and for them to rescue them so they won't have the fear of what? Death. So they could stand at a funeral and proclaim something hopeful and positive. We will live again. Because he lives. Our souls, the Bible says, goes to glory when we pass. If we're a child of God, believing in Christ, and our body rises up at the judgment day on the last day. That's the Christian message through Jesus Christ. And that's the hope that we have today. I'm going to venture something bold here to say that in Psalm 22, there is a, a verse that includes our brother. It includes us too. In Psalm 22, it begins like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you know that? Jesus was saying Psalm 22 from the cross. If you read the rest of the psalm, it talks about them dividing his garments. It talks about them, him having a dry mouth. It talks about people surrounding him and mocking him. It's actually, Psalm 22 is a, is, was written a thousand years B.C. It was actually a prophecy about the Christ. Many things came true there at the cross. And Jesus was shouting that out as he was in hell, suffering for us. He was shouting, look at Psalm 22, because it's all about me. But the tail end of the psalm, most people don't study this because they get excited about the cross connections, is about today. It's about all days after his resurrection when the church would talk about him. And this is what it says, verse 27 and following. 
all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord when they hear His message. And all the families of the many nations will bow down before Him. Meaning the one that suffered on the cross. For dominion belongs to the Lord and He rules over the nations. And here it is, the, the, the verse that makes me think about Brother Lou. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before Him And then there's a relative clause, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Brother Lou was rich in smarts, athleticism, family and friends, church and even worldly wealth. But he could not keep himself alive any more than I can. But but God said what? They will kneel down before the one who rescued them who died with them and died for them. Lou is alive, and he will rise up in his body someday. And this is the way it ends. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. And so on his victory celebration, I'm telling it, they will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. It is finished. He saved the planet. It's in that, that faith that we have hope and peace and anticipation of seeing him again while we're sad. Amen.